0: Chapter fourteen of Captain Salt and Oz by Ruth Plumley Thompson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fourteen THE SEA Unicorn Ahoy, and how goes it with the able bodied seamen? called Roger, swooping down from the foremast. Tandy, polishing the brass trim on the binnacle, looked up with a welcoming grin. Tip top sails, he answered pausing a minute to stare off toward the skyline to see whether any islands or sea-serpents were visible and look at that muscle now marveled roger touching tandy's arm admiringly with his claw you're twice the lad you were mate and i'll wager my last feather you can lay any lubber by the heels if anyone gets fresh water ashore remember you're a salt sea-going sailor and you just take a poke at him That's my advice without any charge or obligation. But then again a chap that's a king, the royal artist of an exploring expedition with a sea-forest named after him, might not need to take any advice at all,' added Roger, with a long and knowing wink. "'But I like you to tell me things,' said Tandy, looking earnestly up at the reed-bird. "'You make everything seem so interesting and jolly.' With a secret smile, for Tandy was thinking how much he would enjoy taking a poke at Dijaboo, the chief Oz Mandarin, the little boy went on with his polishing. If Dijaboo said anything further about shutting him up in the tower, he just plain would take a poke at him. But saying nothing at all of this to Roger, he called up cheerfully, How's Mofi? Has he stopped scolding and begun to eat? Roger, who was running races with himself up and down the taffrail, stopped short and held up his claw. "'Everything I give him,' he told Tandy solemnly. "'And I declare to badness he's getting to know me, mate. He only pulled out three feathers instead of a fistful when I gave him breakfast just now. Before long he'll be so tame he'll be riding around on your shoulder.' "'Not on my shoulder,' laughed Tandy waving his bottle of polish at the reed-bird. "'Goodness, I believe you're growing fond of that monkey-fish, Roger.' "'Well, why not?' retorted the reed-bird, puffing up his chest. "Atto has me, the captain has Sally, you have Kobo, so why shouldn't I have a little pet if I want one?' The monkey-fish seemed such a strange, prickly sort of pet Tandy could hardly keep his face straight. But seeing Roger was quite in earnest, He tactfully changed the subject. "'Do you suppose we'll make any new discoveries today? he asked, screwing the cap on the bottle of polish. Any as important as the Sea Forest, I mean?' "'Why not call it by its proper name?' teased Roger, scratching his head with his left claw. And I think it most unlikely we'll strike anything as curious and important as Tazander Forest. Two discoveries like that just couldn't happen two days running. Still, I'll just fly up to the main truck and have a look around. Main truck? Tandy wrinkled his brows. I thought I knew all the parts of this ship by now. You never told me about the main truck, Roger. Just the top of the main mast, brainless. Giving Tandy an affectionate little shove, Roger soared into the rigging, and Tandy went joyfully off to have another look at the forest Samuel had insisted on naming after him. He had taken great pains with the painting and printing while he sketched it on the map, and now, with a sigh of complete satisfaction, he stood regarding the sea-chart. Then suddenly remembering he had promised to water Samuel Salt's plants, he jog-trotted contentedly down to the hold. The tumbleweeds, in their small red pots, grew so rapidly Samuel had to cut them back every day. These Tandy watered very sparingly snapping his fingers at Mofi, who was gravely chinning himself on a branch of his artificial tree. The slips of the sea-trees in their covered aquarium required no attention at all. Atto had planted all the vegetable and fruit vines from Pekinspire on the rail outside the galley, so that left only the creeping vines from Patrapani Island to care for. He had just picked up one of the small potted creepers, when a sharp rap tap under his toes, made Tandy leap straight up in the air. Someone was knocking on the bottom of the boat. Atto, captain, roger, shrilled the little boy, scurrying up from the hold faster than he had ever done before. s somebodys knocking on the bottom of the boat. Before he could explain or tell them anything further, a perfectly terrific knock from below, made the crescent moon shiver from end to end. Samuel and Atto, leaning over the port rail, turned round so suddenly they bumped their heads smartly together. Next, with a scrape, screech, and splintering of timber, a giant white horn came tearing up through the decks. "'Wail, Whale! croaked Roger, falling off the main truck and coasting crazily down to the deck. Why, what, whatever and everin's that? He quavered, pointing a trembling claw at the rigid white column between the main and mizzen masts. Samuel did not even try to explain, for at that instant the ship began to rise, to fall, to lash and plunge both up and down and east and west. Hooking his arms through the rail, Tandy blinked, gasped, and shudderingly waited for the crescent moon to fly asunder. Narwhal, mates, panted Samuel Salt, throwing himself bodily upon the wheel. Horn like a unicorn, branch of the odontices and-oh, you don't say it is? chattered Atto, who was lying on his stomach, bouncing up and down like a ball at each frightful lunge of the monstrous fish. Well, it spiked us. Is that a horn or a ship's mast? Oh, whoa, oh. What insult do we do now?" Samuel had not the heart to answer, for he had all he could do to hang on to the wheel as the ship, like a wounded animal, reared and plunged, thrashing the sea to a fury of foam and spray. Nickaboo, diving precipitously off her raft, began to squeal in high and low hippopotamy, making brave but ineffective lunges at the lashing giant beneath the ship. Uh, suppose it s- submerges!" wailed Atto, who had managed at last to seize the rope from the end of which he banged and slammed continuously up and down against the deck. Oh my stars! Oh my spars! Oh my beams! And Tandy never heard Atto's last anguished cry, for at that moment a savage shake of the Norwal's head sent him flying into the sea. Coming up coughing and choking, Tandy instinctively began to swim, and for the first time became aware of the creeping vine he still had clutched tightly in one hand. And in that instant, and in that whirl of danger, disaster, and destruction, the little boy suddenly grew calm and purposeful. This vine, well, why would this powerful vine from Patripati Island not work as well under water as on land? The chances were that it would. Swimming boldly back to the ship, Tandy took a quick dive, hurling the vine, pot and all, in the general direction of the narwhal. No sooner had the vine touched the water than it began to open, creep and grow, and, spraying out a hundred strong tentacles, it seized and bound the plunging monster in a secure and inescapable cradle of leafy wood gasping and sputtering, but with his heart pounding with joy to think he had really saved Samuel's beautiful ship, Tandy rose to the surface. Nickaboo, letting off shrill blasts of anger and fright, came paddling anxiously toward him. But giving the hippopotamus a reassuring wave, Tandy seized the end of a rope-ladder and pulled himself up to the deck. Samuel, though battered and bruised, still clung to the wheel and Atto, almost pounded to a jelly, had rolled into the scuppers where Roger was fanning him vigorously with a butter-paddle. The reed bird, having wings, could have left the ship at any time, but he had clung bravely to his post, preferring to go down with the ship and his shipmates. Now all three of them stared in dazed silence at Tandy as he climbed back over the rail for in the terrible confusion and excitement no one had seen him go overboard. "'Tandy, Tandy, where have you been?' With outstretched arms Samuel Salt rushed groggily forward. "'Shiver my liver! Why is everything so quiet? Could it be that you single-handed have destroyed that ship-shaking menace?' "'I don't think he's destroyed, Master Salt,' answered Tandy, limping happily to meet the captain but he's caught fast as a lobster in a lobster pot, and can't move at all." "'Caught?' rasped Samuel, running across the deck to peer over the rail. "'By the creeping vine!' explained Tandy, and in short, breathless sentences he told them all that had happened after he was flung into the sea. "'Well, bagpipe my mizzenmast sails,' gasped Samuel Salt, staring at Tandy with round eyes this is the strangest and happiest day of my life you've saved the ship and the whole expedition my boy and all we have to do now is cut loose from this cavorting unicorn of the sea and sail off with the largest ivory horn in captivity an ivory mast blast my buckles wait till the ozite see us sailing up the winky river with four masts instead of three ahoy below ahoy kobo can you dive with me beneath this ship? Dive and stay under as long as you can, vowed the hippopotamus, shaking the water out of her eyes and looking cheerily up at the captain. You see, I was right about those creeping vines, and I wasn't I? Nickaboo, having done a little investigating on her own account, was well nigh ready to burst with pride at Tandy's quick action, and the way in which the vines had overcome their gigantic foe. Right," boomed Samuel Salt, hurrying off for his oxygen helmet and powerful diamond-toothed saw. Atto was too bruised and exhausted to rise, but Tandy and Roger, perching on the ship's rail, watched Samuel in his queer diver's helmet climb down the rope ladder and clamber up on the hippopotamus. Next minute Nickaboo had disappeared under the surface, and presently from the slight shiver and shake of the boat they knew that Samuel was determinedly at work cutting them loose. Fortunately there was room between the ship's bottom and the whale's head for Nickaboo to swim about, and so splintering sharp was Samuel's saw that in less than five minutes he had cut off the great column of ivory level with the ship's bottom, carefully caulking the edges with material he had brought down. In its tight and live wood-crate the narwhal could not stir an inch, and, while the cutting of its horn was not painful, it blubbered and spouted so terrifically that Samuel and Nickaboo heaved tremendous sighs of relief when the dangerous operation was accomplished. Backing off a few paces, Nickaboo began butting the crated sea-beast with her head, till she had driven it out from under the boat. Roger and Tandy, with little shrieks of wonder and excitement, saw the crated fish, like some queer and monstrous mummy, rise to the surface and go floating sullenly away toward the east. Now that they had a full view of the narwhal, they saw that it was three times the length of the crescent moon. A great wonder Sammy didn't tie it to the ship and tow it along, sighed Atto who at last got to his feet and draped himself weakly over the rail oh, some fishing eh mates but look at the beautiful mast we have cried tandy waving to nickaboo and the captain as they came cheerfully alongside huh you're as bad as sammy grunted atto rubbing his bruises sorrowfully and of course a mast was just what we were needing whale of a mast mast of a whale huh? End of chapter fourteen